Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I am sure is having a blast watching the Memphis Grizzlies this season. How are things going on your end? Things are going well. Um, you know, in the words of Future, life's good right now. Um, Grizzlies are looking good. Titans seem to be hitting their stride. The only negative, I guess, would be the uh, the Tigers. But you know, other than that, everything's been going good. I feel you on that. Unfortunately, we can't win them all with all of our sports teams. Cause Lord knows, both my college Tigers are struggling. But then again, my Tigers in the NFL are doing fine. So it's all good. Speaking of that transition, of course. Uh, let's go ahead and get this bad boy started. Uh, before we do that, though, please sure check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, Ethan, uh, to kick off the show with our college football player spotlight, this is a guy that you and I were actually just talking about a couple of days ago. And I'm putting the spotlight on senior Georgia defensive lineman Jordan Davis. While Georgia's defense easily looks like the best in the nation, he has really been a standout player and a true cog. So, Ethan, in your opinion, what team do you think could best utilize them to help out their defensive line? I can see that. Um, I'm going to actually go with their division rival, and I'm going to say the um, Los Angeles Chargers. While the Los Angeles Chargers team is really outperforming most expectations, something that has been a bit of a problem for them has been stopping the run. With the ability to have a player like Jordan Davis on the roster, they could really take care of that. So I think that he would be a great get for them if somehow he falls that way. Or it's still we still got quite a bit of season left. He could end up being drafted by them at some point. But all right, let's go ahead and look back at week seven. Um, The Chargers actually had a bye, but this is what took place in action. Thursday night football, the uh, banged up Browns beat the Broncos 17 to 14. The Cincinnati Bengals kicked the Ravens ass 41 to 17. Rams beat Lions in a quarterback return game 28 to 19. Cardinals beat Texans 31 to five. Um, Giants get in their losing streak against the Panthers, 25 to three. Falcons beat the Dolphins, 30 to 28. Uh, Packers beat Washington, 24 to 10. Uh, Patriots defeat the Jets, 54 to 13. Titans beat the Chiefs, 27 to three. Las Vegas Raiders beat the Eagles, 33 to 22. Tom Brady continues to add to his legacy, being the first NFL player in history to throw for 600 career passing touchdowns against the Bears, 38 to three. Um, Colts beat the 49ers Sunday night football 30 to 18 and the Saints edge out the Seahawks Monday night football 13 and 10 after the week I went nine and three and Ethan you went seven and five before we get to injuries what would you say were your top five takeaways of this past week of action Chase is looking to be the next stud wide 
receiver. Um, it's from um, LSU. So I gotta go. I gotta show the Bengals some love in this and that regard. And you know, like I've been saying, oh, weekly he's been giving me a lot of production on my fantasy team. Uh, I will also say Tom Brady is all time undefeated. Apparently, when it comes down to Tom Brady, this man holds. It's probably going to hold every single record. As a quarterback, by the time his career is over, we, um, yes, I am not a big uh, Tom Brady fan, but you have to respect greatness, especially when greatness is king. So I got to show Brady love. And also, I will say, can we, you know, can we just get rid of Thursday night football? I understand. Uh, I understand that, you know, they want an extra game, but I think that those are some of the worst played games in like in the NFL on Thursday nights, and I'm kind of tired of like watching. I will, I'll agree with you mostly on that last one because, like for example, last week we got Broncos and Browns, but this past week we got Packers and Cardinals which was a pretty good game. So it's it's just weird. If every game was going to be like – my thing is pick a struggle. Like, are we going to get games that are going to be pretty good or is it just going to be kind of like – I don't want to say throwaway matchups, but games that, like, don't carry too, too much weight. Like, I don't – it's hard to really have both, but I guess they see that as a way to keep people watching. But I do understand. It is kind of frustrating. Um, as we all know, to check out my takeaways, you can just head over to theexreport.net. I do my takeaways from every game, for every team, all that good stuff. So, please be sure to check that out. All the information you may need is there. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk some of the biggest injury news of this past week. Giants lose starting safety Jabril Peppers for the year with the torn ACL. Eagles lose running back Miles Sanders for the next three weeks after going on IR for for an ankle injury. Um, Cardinals lose J.J. Watt for the year following a shoulder surgery. And 49ers lose defensive lineman Javon Kinlaw, possibly for the season, with a knee injury. So kind of taking things back up to Philly, while it's unfortunate that Miles Sanders gets hurt, It does open up an opportunity for a former Memphis Tiger and Kenny Gainwell. So, assuming he does get those starting reps at running back, what are you accepting to see from Kenny? Uh, I'm expecting to see a decent level of production. I don't think that he's going to – I don't think he's going to have an Antonio Gibson-type season um, where he assumes their starting role. But I definitely see him being a guy that you can look up and you can see he might have a couple hundred yard rushing rushing games. And you can also see look up and see him have like a couple like sixty to seventy yards receiving because he's a good receiving back. But I don't see him being a guy that's like, oh, he's gonna step in and eventually become the starting running back. I would agree with that mainly just because of how Philly is really called the run game this year. I mean, even when Miles Sanders was starting, this was expected to be a really big year for him, but instead it was a big letdown, mainly because it just seemed like the offense really was not relying on its running backs. Instead, more times than not, if the ball is being ran, it's because of Jalen Hurts or it's on a scramble or a quarterback run, and I think that that's not really going to be conducive to a successful offense, hence why the Eagles are where they are now. Um, for the Memphis Tiger fan in me, I hope that they kind of change things up with Kenny in the backfield and really utilize his talents because he's a great running back as well as a great receiver out of the backfield. So hopefully they can use that. But 
I'm still, like you said, I'm not expecting too, too much just because of how they've been running the ball previously. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the players we were most impressed by, disappointed by, and our rookie of the week. Um, Ethan, start us off. Who were you most impressed by this past week? Um, I was most impressed by Aaron Rodgers. Um, simply because basically all of his starting receivers were gone. And yes, he didn't have a spectacular game. But he had the he had the type of game that I assumed he was gonna have where he was gonna find a way to make plays to win that game. And given the circumstances of the Cardinals being, you know, seven and zero, and like yes, they lost JJ Watt, but Chandler Jones was still could still being a good force for their defense. Like that could have been a game where going into it, when you hear the circumstances, you would have thought like, hey. They're going to get blown out, especially with the way that the um, Cardinals offense have been playing. So I got to go with A-Rod. For me, I was most impressed by the Titans' defense. It was hard to really just pinpoint anybody. I mean, you and I have talked about it. The Titans have had definitely had their struggles over the years, but it seemed like they saved their best performance against the Chiefs, a team they have a lot of history with, and helped them to just three points. I mean – Mind you, this is a Chiefs team that offensively was healthy. And I can't think of the last time the offense just did not carry the weight, but the defense did. So I was really impressed by what I saw from the Titans' overall defense. All right, who are you most in the, uh, disappointed by? Uh, most disappointed by, I have to say, I'm going to have to go with your boss, my Ravens. Totally um, fine. Like, yes, I understand that Joe Burrow is starting to make better sense in letting people know that, like, he's for real. And Jamar Chase is a stud, but in my personal opinion, there's no way that Johnson lost that game. Yep, keeping in the Baltimore train. I'm going to go to one specific player. I'm going to say Marlon Humphrey. You and I, we both had him in our top five cornerbacks heading into this season. And the crazy thing is, he was the easily the worst corner on the field. Mind you, he's supposed to be the Ravens' best defensive player and did not play like it. Allowed 250 freaking yards. Now, I, I think I told you this, but it was a very bittersweet game to watch because, of course, I like seeing my LSU Tigers ball out. But on the other hand, I expect my defensive players, particularly ones like Marlon, to play better. So that was definitely a hard game to watch for Marlowe. But, I mean... I'm sure he's going to bounce back. We have a bye, but Lord knows that was ugly. And I'm pretty sure we have the same rookie of the week. I'm going Jamar Chase by a landslide. Yes, it's not even close. Yeah, there's nobody else I could really think about going to, if we're being honest. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on. So, as most of you may know, the NFL trade deadline is next Tuesday, November 2nd. So, there has already been some moves being made. Uh, the first one being the Rams sending linebacker Kenny Young, and coincidentally former Raven, um, and a 2024 seventh-round pick to the Broncos in exchange for a 2024 sixth-round pick, um, another trade that took place with a, yet another former Raven. Um Quarterback Joe Flacco is being sent back to the New York Jets um, from the Eagles. Defensive end from the Vikings, Stephen Weatherly, and a 2023 seventh-round pick are headed to the Broncos for a 2022 seventh-round pick, which is going to save $2 million for the Vikings in cap space. And most recently, running back Mark Ingram is heading back to New Orleans after being traded from the Houston Texans. Ethan, in your opinion, what does the return of um, Mark Ingram do 
for the Saints' backfield? I think it adds an element that they haven't had. You know, Latavius Murray was the big physical bruising back. I think, if I'm not mistaken, last season he rushed for 1,000 yards. And, you know, Alvin Kamara is a great weapon, but I feel like he works best when he's in a tandem with another physical back. And, yes, Mark Ingram isn't the same player that he was I feel like he can still be a productive back in a tandem backfield. And he's very familiar with the offensive system. And like we both know, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure everyone that listens into to to this podcast knows, like he's a big locker room guy. He's a big guy that can build people up. Like it's numerous of videos where you see him being a hype man for Lamar Jackson or even Alvin Kamara himself when he was formerly in the Orleans. I agree. I think that it definitely provides a bit more consistency in that run game because they really have not had that. I mean, um, Tommy Jones looked like he was going to be solid, but injuries have kind of hurt him. And it's just been a lot of pressure on Alvin Kamara. And I think that it helps to kind of preserve Kamara because you know just how important he is to the offense in both the running and passing game. And then with regards to that, I think they'd allow a lot more opportunities for the Saints to really create opportunities downfield. So I like this move a lot. Uh, speaking of other moves that may not have been working, Justin Fields, we talked about it a lot. We always debated, when is Justin Fields going to start for the Chicago Bears? Well, needless to say, he has not been that great in his past few weeks as their starter. Here is where he ranks among the 33 quarterbacks with 100 pass uh, attempts. In passing touchdowns, he's 33rd. Passing yards, he's 33rd. Passer rating, 33rd. And completion percentage, uh, 33rd. Um, in a quote asking about some of his struggles, particularly after the Bucks game, he said, you can either get depressed or get up the next day and go to work. That's what I'm going to do. Ethan, in your opinion, do you feel like it was a mistake for the Bears to start um, Justin Fields? Uh, I think, I'm not going to say I think it's a bad move because honestly, they had no choice. Like, Andy Dawson got hurt and when you draft a quarterback that high and he showed promise in the preseason and he had like a lot of buzz around in his name, if he were to have started someone else, I think that that would have created a lot of problems in that fan base. So I I don't per se think it was a bad move to start him, but I do think that the bad move is I feel like they aren't helping him out with their play calling. Like and it also it also doesn't help him that that um David Montgomery has been hurt and on the IR. And, you know, you don't have a strong running game to make the box um to get to get defenders to commit to the run game and make the passing game easier. So it's pretty much like everyone's keying in on this Fields. I'm going to disagree with you about the running game, mainly because Khalil Herbert, another rookie, has actually played fairly well. I think he had 100 this past yards this past game. I think he had 90-something before. He's been actually playing well. If anything, he looks like the most impressive rookie on the Bears. But I think it was a mistake. I think that, yeah, initially when Andy Dalton goes down, sure, you put Justin Fields in to, like, see what you have. But I think that with how the Bears are this season, offensively, you're just setting him up for failure. 
And I think that part of it kind of does go on Justin because you can tell he doesn't, like, he's trying to make things happen when they're not there, which is kind of leading to those interceptions. But then on the other hand, I think that, like you mentioned, the play calling has been terrible. It's clear he doesn't necessarily have chemistry with his wide receivers, such as Allen Robinson or Marquise Goodwin. Like, it's been, it's been rough all across the board. So I think that the Bears... I think that right now their situation is one that you can't really thrive in unless you are like one of those superstar quarterbacks like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, like who are completely adaptable. So I think it was a mistake to keep starting Justin Fields. I think that, but right now you can't bench him. I mean, you have to keep, you went down this road, you got to keep going. But I think that, I think it was a bit of a mistake. But continuing on with the quarterback conversation, Deshaun Watts' name has been brought up a lot in terms of the trade deadline with two teams closest to uh, him. First of which being the Carolina Panthers, who, as we know, have been seeing a lot of struggles um, in with Sam Donald over the last few weeks. In fact, this past game against the Giants, he was benched. And the Miami Dolphins, who are another team who have not seen necessarily the best quarterback play of recent memory. It's been kind of up in the air for both of these quarterbacks with regards to Tua Tungavailoa. He was asked if he felt wanted by the Dolphins, and his response was, I don't not feel wanted, as he continues to field quarterback questions. And then with regards to Sam Donald, um, Matt Rule talked about benching. Donald said, I think I made the right decision yesterday. To be quite honest with you, Sam Donald's performance wasn't good enough. When you're the quarterback, it has to be good enough, and it wasn't good enough. So between Tua and Sam Donald, which quarterback do you think's job and future as the face of their team is in more jeopardy? Um, I think I would say Tua, simply because the conversation surrounding Tua, that's been, it started last season. And, like, it just, it hasn't gotten any better. At least in the case of Sam Donald, like, in the beginning of the season, he looked like he could be a competent quarterback. And, like, it's one of those things also where it's like, how are the Panthers actually going to get another quarterback? Like, they really can't make a trade because they traded, if I'm not mistaken, they traded their first-round picks this, for this upcoming draft when they um, acquired um, Stephon Gilmore. Not Stephon. They traded, I think they traded their first-round picks when they acquired someone, I'm not mistaken. I think they still have their first round picks because they only got because remember they got Stefan for like a six or something. That's right, yeah. But um, but yeah, and so and it's like if they go with the if they go through the draft route, what quarterback are they taking? Because it's not like this year's quarterback class really isn't that great. Like yes, Matt Corral from Ole Miss. He's look good, but he, I feel like he's more of a, he's a product of their system than, like, his actual talent. Um, and if you trade for Deshaun Watson, like, who's to say he's actually going to be, he's going to step on the field? So, but out of the two, I would say two. Between the two, it's kind of tough, but I think I would go, I think I'm going to say Sam. Mainly because with Sam, they just acquired him this offseason. They didn't give up too much to get him. I think it was like a two or a three, one of the two. And they're not necessarily married to the idea of him. When you're 3-0, and everything looks good and gravy. But these past few weeks, he struggled a lot. And I think that more and more, they're starting to detach themselves from him. And so I think that, because let's be honest, we're comparing rosters. I would take the Panthers' overall roster over 
the um, the Dolphins roster any day of the week. But the problem is they play in a much tougher division being in the NFC South. But with that being said, I think that if I'm the Panthers, I feel like I have a better likelihood of winning if I were to get Deshaun Watson over Sam Darnold. Because at least for Tua, there you can make excuses or at least say that there were games that weren't his fault that they lost. His defense didn't do his job. He didn't have a run game, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas with Sam Donald, he doesn't have those same excuses for why he's not succeeding. So I would probably go the route of Sam Donald. But all right, as I mentioned earlier, the NFL trade deadline is just a few weeks away. So what we're going to do before we play a game of believable or buffoonery are list our top three NFL trades that have to be made. Ethan, do you want me to go first? You want to go first, alternate, how you want to do it? All right, bet. So for me, starting number three, this may sound like a bit of a shock, but I'm going to say Von Miller to the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not a Cowboys fan, never professed to be, but I'll be the first to say the Cowboys are looking pretty good this season. Defensively, of course, they have their struggles, particularly in getting cuck, in getting a pass rush. Micah Parsons has been doing a good job, but what better way to help him hone in on his game and get better than getting a player like Von Miller? It seems like right now his name is being included in trade conversations. It doesn't seem like there's much more of a future with him in Denver. So if I'm Dallas, I would try to make that move not only to bolster my pass rush, but also help out my rookie. Uh, for me, I am going to say Deshaun Jackson to the Miami Dolphins. And the reason I'm saying this is because regardless of if they stick with two or if they do make a trade for I or someone like a Deshaun Watson, they're going to need better wide receivers. And the ones that they have, they just aren't cutting it. Yes, I know that Deshaun Jackson isn't. A, it is in his prime anymore. He isn't the receiver that he used to be, but I think that he can still make a lot of plays for a team. And he just, for whatever reason, him and the Rams just aren't working out right now. Yeah, I agree. Because, I mean, even in the few times that he has gotten an opportunity to get targets in L.A., he's made the most of them. Just look back at what he did to the Bucks defense. It was ugly. Uh, number two, I'm going to say Deshaun Watson to the Panthers. I pretty much kind of elaborated why I would make this trade, but just – if you're the Panthers, you want to be able to complete and I mean compete, and that all starts off with your quarterback. So I'd go after Deshaun Watson. Um, I'm actually going to agree with you with Deshaun Watson to the Panthers. Yes, I know. Yes, I personally believe that he he's going to end up. He might end up in Miami before he ends up in Carolina. But I think just given the complete roster that the Panthers have, they if you throw if you mix. Deshaun Watson with their roster, I think that their team is a sleeper Super Bowl caliber team. I agree. And then number one, speaking of the NFC South, I got Odell Beckham Jr. going to the Saints. I have been screaming free Odell for years now, and I just think it's about time that it happens. It's clear that He's, his play style and what he does does not necessarily fit what the Browns do offensively. Even after a few seasons, it's clear the chemistry really isn't there with Baker. So I think it's about time they cut him loose. And then with regards to the Saints, yes, you're kind of waiting on Michael Thomas to get back, but you really don't have that number one receiver. And I think that if you are going to ride it out with Jameis for the foreseeable future, especially because, like you mentioned, the quarterback class isn't that great, I think that this is the perfect opportunity to give Jameis as much help as he can get as well as allow Odell to do what he does best, and that is be a star wide receiver. Um, for me, number one, I would say the Tennessee Titans trade for David and Joker on the Cleveland Browns. Yes, we both chronicled that their defense 
issuing is not their offense. But I think given the fact that um, I think we're finding our offense by the end of the week, we're continuing to make their career around the rock and we're continuing to be a play-action team, why not get a serviceable pass catching tight end that can take advantage of um, take advantage of matchups across the middle of the field that get easy front downs? Fair enough. Would make a lot of sense, especially because Anthony Ferkser hasn't done too, too much. And, I mean, kind of with Julio, it's been a lot of stop and start. So, why not kind of make up for that loss? All right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. Taking things up to the AFC North. Following, like I mentioned, the butt kicking that Baltimore got from the Cincinnati Bengals. On first take, Stephen A. Smith said, I'm taking Joe Burrow over Lamar Jackson. Believable or buffoonery, Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in the AFC North. Uh, I'm going to say buffoonery simply because, like, yes, Joe Burrow is amazing, but this is just his first year. And, like, last year he did have great numbers, but he got hurt. And so this is basically still essentially his rookie year. And with that being said, like we said before, like teams, they don't, they might not have that much tape on Joe Burrow to pick up his tendencies and things of that nature. And I mean, honestly, Lamar, he's like people don't understand, like he's been a good quarterback this year, passing and rushing. So I gotta go Lamar. Yeah, I'm going buffoonery on this too. In terms of like the prototypical thought process of quarterback, like pure passer, yeah, it's Joe Burrow, and it's not even close. But in terms of, like, a player who plays quarterback, it's Lamar Jackson. And I think that, like you mentioned, like, one bad loss is really, like, making everybody forget just how good Lamar had been this season. And I think that this is really just kind of showing that recency bias. So, no, I'm calling buffoonery, but Joe Burrow is a bad man, but not the best yet. All right. I mentioned earlier um, when I was recapping last week's games that Tom Brady threw for his 600th career passing touchdown. And Mike Evans, after receiving touchdown, accidentally threw it to a fan, not knowing that it was the 600th ball. In exchange to get the ball back, here is what the fan got. He got signed Tom Brady jerseys, a signed Mike Evans jersey, Mike Evans game cleats, signed football by Brady, Bucks 2021 and 2022 season tickets, $1,000 in store credit at the team store, and one Bitcoin from Tom Brady, which was worth $62,996.60 in United States dollars. So, believable or buffoonery, it was a fair trade for the 600 TD ball. You do get a lot. I'm saying buffoonery just because I'm not going to lie to you. You know how much money you can make off that ball? Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I'll say this. If he wanted to sell that ball, he'd get way more than $63,000. So, I'm going to say buffoonery, but, I mean, it is cool. I mean, he still got a lot of stuff. And as a football fan, I would I'd take that. I got two years of going to games and don't got to pay for it. That's a breeze. But, yeah, I'm, I'm calling buffoonery. Mainly because while he got a lot of good stuff in return, he could have did a little bit better. 
All right, let's say things to the NFC West and talk about the San Francisco 49ers following their fourth straight loss. Um, Colin Coward said this about the team. We need to stop lumping the 49ers in with the great teams. While that may seem like a bit of a stretch, here's an interesting stat. Matt Nagy has a 31-24 and 24 um, head coaching record, while Kyle Shanahan has a 31-39 and 39 career head coaching record. So, believable or buffoonery, it's time to take the 49ers off of the pedestal as one of the NFL's better teams. I'm banging the drum. I'm saying believable. Yeah, me too. Like, I think given the fact that Jimmy G is a known fact that he's not the caliber of quarterback that they need, and he also kind of just sucks because it's like they always seem to have key injuries in key positions. Like, Raheem Mostert gets hurt every year. Just, we just said Javon Kimball was hurt. And before that, um, I think, I forgot who was the defensive tackle that got hurt last year. Like, basically, the whole defense got hurt last year. And I also just don't think that, you know, they're in the toughest division right now. And being honest, like, the talent level that they have on their team compared to everyone else in the division is pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think that, yes, it was impressive the year that they went to the Super Bowl, but I can't find anything very impressive or noteworthy besides that year. Yes, injuries are tough, and it's hard to really battle back from that, but even still, I mean, it's next man up. And you would think that as a team like the 49ers, who are so used to having so many injuries, they would do a better job of getting more depth or preparing themselves for those injuries that may take place. So, I mean, I've been banging the drum that I don't think the 49ers are that good, and we're really seeing that this year. Even if they were healthy, I don't think that this would still be a team that would be that great, especially because their secondary would still be a problem. So, yeah, no, I'm calling believable. All right, let's make game picks, picks, starting with the Buffalo Bills hosting the Miami Dolphins. I got Bills. Bills. Carolina Panthers versus the Atlanta Falcons in what could possibly be Sam Donald's last game starting. I got Falcons. I mean, not Falcons. I got Panthers. I got Panthers. Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Cleveland Browns. I know the Browns are probably feeling themselves. They're getting healthy. I'm still going Steelers in an upset. I'm going Browns. Cincinnati Bengals versus the New York Jets. I got Bengals. I got Bengals. Tennessee Titans against the Indianapolis Colts. While these games are usually competitive, especially the second time around, I'm still going Titans for the win. I got Titans. Detroit Lions versus the Philadelphia Eagles. Not going to lie, I don't have much faith in the Eagles right now, and the Detroit Lions just seem like a team that is on the cusp of getting their first win. I got Lions. San Francisco 49ers versus the Chicago Bears. I know I just ragged on this team, but, I mean, I think the Bears are – they're another team I have a hard time picking a win either. So, I got 49ers. Yeah, me too. Los Angeles Rams versus the Houston Texans. I got Rams. Rams. Seattle Seahawks versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I can see this game being much closer than it probably should be, but I got Seahawks. Los Angeles Chargers versus the New England Patriots. This could low-key be interesting, but I'm still going Patriots. I mean, not Patriots, Chargers. I'm going Chargers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New Orleans Saints. I got Bucks. Bucks. Washington football team versus the Denver Broncos. I got Washington. I 
Minnesota Vikings versus the Dallas Cowboys. I'm actually going to say Vikings mainly because Dak Prescott's playing status is up in the air, and Minnesota has been one of the best pass-rushing teams in the league. I feel like if they can get some pressure on Dak, it can make his night pretty rough. So I got Vikings. I'm going to still going Cowboys. Fair enough. And then Monday Night Football, the New York Giants versus the Kansas City Chiefs. I will say this for the Chiefs' sake. They better win this game. Yeah. All right. Yeah, if not, it's, it's all she wrote. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie that we are watching this week, as well as our team call-outs. Ethan, you can go first. Uh, offensively, I am going to be looking at quarterback Lamar Jackson. He's got a bye week. I mean, that ain't what you're You just said that. It was on my mind. No, I'm actually going to be looking at uh, the whole Detroit Lions offense. And the reason I'm saying this is because they've played hard. They've had heartbreaking losses. And like you said, I think this is going to be the game that they actually put out and get a win. And this offense, in my opinion, has been very up and down. Like they had the game against San Fran where they almost scored 40. And then there's other games where they can barely crack 14. And I think against this Philly defense, they're going to be able to have better numbers than they saw um offensively i'm gonna say nick chubb he's supposed to be returning against the steelers everybody knows that the uh browns offense looks best when they are running the ball while dearness johnson had a very good game this past week nick chubb is easily your best running back on that team i'm excited to see what he can do against the steelers defense because if he does not have a good game they do not win all right defensively who are you looking at Defensively, I'm going to say uh, Stephon Gilmore. He's been activated from the pup list and it's supposed to be making his Panthers debut. I think that while the Panthers defense has not looked as good as it did in the first few weeks, I think that having a player like Stephon Gilmore can really make them better overall, and I'm excited to see what he does now that he's back on the field. All right, what rookie are you watching? I'm watching Mac Jones, and I think it's going to be a good – it's a good matchup between young quarterbacks and him and Justin on not just – I feel you on that. I'm going to go with another quarterback. I'm going to say Justin Fields. I mean, I think that his back is really against the wall. And like I said, it's not totally his fault why the team is struggling. But he needs a bounce back game. He needs something to inspire some confidence. Because right now, there's not much confidence really in anything that Chicago is doing right now. If he's supposed to be the future, he has to show it. And I think that this game could be a nice way to silence some doubters. All right, what team are you calling out? I am calling out the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, I am grateful that my Tennessee Titans were defeated them last week, but I think that they have a lot of issues going on. I think that Patrick Mahomes, he has to get out of this mindset that I have to make a miraculous play. Um, I think I alluded to this before, but it, it was um, the game that Aaron Rodgers played Monday Night Football, and they had the Manning cast, and they were basically, Peyton was basically saying, like, when you have a quarterback like Aaron who's saying it all, he's going to take what you give him. And they were trying to 
motivated him into making deep throws. He and he never did. He just kept checking the ball down to Aaron Jones and running the ball and just throwing short pass and he, he won the game. And I think the difference between Aaron Aaron Rodgers right now and Patrick Mahomes is you catch Patrick Mahomes trying to make those game changing plays when he can just make the plays to continue to move the chains. I feel on that. I'm going to say the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that, let's be honest, we're going to kick my team's butt. You better keep winning um, to make me not feel as bad about losing. But, I mean, also, I think we've kind of seen right now that if a team looks good, that's great. But the Jets are kind of that trap game. Not even with Zach Wilson out for the next few weeks, which I forgot to mention, um, with the PCL injury, I think that for the Bengals to keep it up, to keep everybody talking, you have to win these games. This is a very winnable game for them. And I think that a lot of teams become susceptible in. They get that big win, everybody's talking about them, and then they lose the next one. So I'm looking at the Bengals to keep the momentum on their side, to keep trying to build that lead in the division. You have to win this game. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, second week of NBA action. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from what we have seen thus far? Top three takeaways are, um, I think the Lakers' age might be showing a little bit in a couple of these games. Um, um, still, it's still a freak of nature. And he's, he's just scary. Like, I feel like if he continues to play the way that he's playing, he's in for another MVP caliber season and you know I'm gonna keep banging me strong John Moran is all star this year I mean he better be he's been playing lights out I'll get to John in a second but let's go ahead and move on to our Mamba players of the week starting out of the Eastern Conference this might be a little bit of a shock, but I'm going to say Miles Bridges for the uh, forward for the Charlotte Hornets. He's really been a guy who has really stepped up in a way that not many people really expected him to. Of course, in Charlotte, it's been the LaMelo Ball show, but he's really balled out. I mean, dropped 22 um, last night, night before that, 31, 25, and 10. Like, he's really coming to his own as a part of the Charlotte Hornets team and has really been a key contributor in them getting wins. So, I'm going to say he's my mamba. Uh, for me, I got to go with Jimmy Butler. He's been putting up some really... Um, Jimmy Butler his performances, even last night, where I think he had like 32, 11, and 7, somewhere in that range, and he kind of just wheeled the heat. Not even wheeled, they completely dominated Charlotte, and it was just a defensive... Uh, it was just a defensive thrashing, but Jimmy is looking like Jimmy of all, I know at some points last season people were questioning is Jimmy Butler still the same player, but as far as right now, he looks like he's still that dude. I feel you. Speaking of that dude, John Morant is my Western Conference Mamba of the Week. I mean, one may argue that. You know, Ja is an all-star. I don't think there's no argument. I think that he definitely should be an all-star this year. He is showing those big strides you want to see out of a third-year player. Really just been balling out in every facet. Really almost led his team to a win over the Lakers, a team that one would think that would not be as competitive a game. Ja does that. Ja is really that lifeblood of the Grizzlies, and he's one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting player to watch in the league right now. You already know I'm going with John. Like, it's another question. This man, honestly, like you 
say he almost single-handedly lifted us to a win over the Lakers. He missed one free throw that was costly. And I don't honestly blame him. I blame Taylor Jenkins for making the sub and breaking his rhythm as a shooter. And then he um, put on a performance to erase a 19-point deficit and beat the Golden State Warriors in in, uh, Golden State. So I got to go to job. All right, my rookie of the week. I'm jumping on the bandwagon like you were last week. I'm going to Evan Mobley for the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Really just been balling out. I mean, we kind of talked about how many big bodies they had in Cleveland and how it was going to work. I can't really speak much for everybody else, but at least for Evan, he's been really having a good season so far. Yeah, I'm continuing my Evan Mobley high training. You know, I feel like I'm the one of the only people that appreciates big foundations. So, and he's been playing really good basketball, so I got to go to Evan Mobley. Likewise. All right, so let's go ahead and do a little bit of league news. Now, prior to the start of the season, it was announced that the NBA was going to make a conscious effort uh, to make a change with regards to change uh, officiating an overt, abrupt, or abnormal non-basketball moves by offensive players with the ball in an effort to draw fouls. Well, we are starting to see some of those changes. Um, within the last uh, couple of games, here are some interesting stats. Trey Young's free throw attempts have been gone down from 8.7 a game to 4.4. James Harden's 7.3 go to 3, 3.0. Um, Damian Lillard's 7.2 to 4.5. Devin Booker, 5.9 to 3.5. And, and it's gotten some mixed reviews. Steve Nash called out the shooting fouls rule and said, I feel like Harden's unfair unfairly uh, the poster boy for this and not getting fouls called on him. Whereas other players and figures like Kyle Kuzma said, the new foul rules changes are, I'm sorry, let me read that. The new foul rules changes to the sport are the best thing the league has done in recent history. Watching the game is much different. Ethan, in your opinion, whose side are you on? Are you a fan of the new foul rules? Do you feel like it's keeping people out or what do you think? I like them a lot as well. I just think it makes the game more competitive, especially because, like you mentioned, like in cases like James Harden or um, Trey Young, they really just rather take the free points. It's more fun to watch you go one-on-one against a defender and outplay them. Don't just try to get a foul and try to get the free points. It makes the game a lot more fun. So I agree with you. I think that it does put the game in the hands of the players and it makes it a much more enjoyable experience. 
But let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery, starting with Derrick Rose. We talked about Tom Brady a bit earlier, and Derrick Rose talked about him as well. When he was asked about how long he wants to play in the NBA, he had this to say, I'm trying to Tom Brady this thing. Now, Derrick Rose is currently in his 14th season, and coming off the bench so far is averaging 14.3 points per game on 57.9 three-point percentage. And Tom Brady, as we all know, seems like he's been in the league forever. This is his 21st year. So, in terms of longevity, believable or buffoonery, Derrick Rose can be the NBA's version of Tom Brady. Uh, I can see because like he's, he's changed his game so much to where like it's not he's not putting the wear and tear on his body. He's a better shooter. He's also like you said, he's a he's accepting his role as a backup. I think he, you know, the only thing I feel like to honestly hold him out is if the, um, is if he, because he's already lost some of his speed, but he's still a capable of athlete. Is if the game gets too fast for him, but outside showing that he could play a couple more years. I could see that as well. I'm calling him believable. I think that especially if he just has this role where he comes off the bench, because I mean, like we we all know, he was a superstar. And then injuries really took a took a licking on him. But I think that because he's not on the court as much, not exerting as much energy is really helping to keep him sustainable. So I do agree with you. I think that he can do it. I think that it's working out a lot. Um, continuing on, though, about Derrick Rose and the superstar he was, Paul George made a comparison between old-school Derrick Rose Oh, that sounded weird saying old school. And Ja Morant saying he's explosive. He wants to go left. We knew that. But he's just so good and fast. He's just explosive, electrifying. I compare him to, like, D. Rose. I guarded him my rookie year, the Indy Chicago Chicago games, and I'm guarding Ja. It's similar to how it was with Derrick Rose. Believable or buffoonery, Ja Morant is the NBA's version of Derrick Rose. I'm agreeing with you as far as buffoonery. While I can definitely see some of the comparisons with regards to speed and aggressiveness, I think that, like you mentioned, like they play the game a bit differently. They go about things a bit differently. And while, like in terms of explosiveness, yes, like he's definitely on par with what Derrick Rose was doing uh, back in what that was 2011 when he won MVP, if I'm not mistaken. And it was, yeah, and it was. I mean, we could say like at that time he was the most fun player to watch in the NBA. 
Um, but I think, like you mentioned, like I think that they do things differently. Derrick Rose was definitely much more like, I'm going to go get it every time out, whereas um, John Morant is, like you said, a bit more selective. While he'll get those crazy highlight dunks and crazy stuff like that, realistically, I think that um, I would definitely call Derrick Rose a bit more of a slasher. All right, let's take things off to the Western Conference, and let's talk about the Golden State Warriors. Stephen A. Smith had this to say um, about the team: If Klay Thompson comes back healthy, the only thing that will have any, the only team that will have any chance of stopping them is Kyrie returning to Brooklyn. The Golden State Warriors might win it all. There was no one else stopping them in the West, including the Lakers. Believable or buffoonery, the Warriors should be the favorites to represent the Western Conference in the finals right now. I'm saying buffoonery simply because you can make this statement here the point of man coming back from an injury and we've never seen and we haven't seen him play a game of NBA basketball in two years. We don't know what he's going to look like. We don't know if he's going to be the same as Clay Thompson. Like, I understand that people are saying, like, even if he's still 80% of what he used to be, he can lead them to a to the finals. I'm not going to say it because it's like it's early in the season. Like, I'm not... Yes, the Lakers do have pressing concerns, but how many times have we seen these, like, super teams get formed and in the early stages of the season, they look bad, but when it gets time to playoffs time, they figure stuff out. So I'm not about to jump on their bandwagon too soon. I agree because it was also something similar last year with regards to Clay. I'm not Clay. Steph Curry was going insane, but the problem was nobody else was really playing up to his level. And like you mentioned with Clay Thompson, while him coming back should be a big help, like we haven't seen him play in two years. It's probably going to take him some time to adjust and become the Clay Thompson that we had grown um, accustomed to seeing. So, yeah, I'm also calling buffoonery. But you mentioned the Lakers, and there were some interesting comments about Lakers point guard. Um, Russell Westbrook, Sam Emick of The Athletic said this about the point. To me, he's best with the second unit. Have the ball in his hands and pushing the pace. With James, Westbrook will rebound and push it, but many times no one runs with him, certainly not James or Davis. He is a poor defender on a team full of poor defenders. Not a great fit there either. It is just a matter of time before Westbrook Volcano erupts. He is so passionate and being an LA kid wants so badly to succeed. I just don't see it as a great fit. James and Davis are not changing the way they play, nor can they. I predict a 5-7 seed and first round exit in the playoffs. Let's just focus on the first part first part about him saying that Russell Westbrook should come off the bench for the Lakers, believable or buffoonery. Uh, I'm 50-50 on it. I think, 
In terms of schematically, I do think that it would definitely be a change of pace for this second unit, especially because imagine you start making your subs and all of a sudden you got your backup point guard, your backup to the backup against Russell Westbrook. That could really be a way to really kind of elevate the Lakers' second unit and provide them some explosiveness off the bench because right now their depth really hasn't done too much. But on the other hand, it's just schematically I could see it working, but I just feel like if that were the case, I feel like it would only cause tension on the team because – more times than not, you're putting not putting arguably your third best player off the bench. It's just normally not happening like that. So in terms of like pure basketball, I think that it really could work. But in terms of just team chemistry, I don't think that that should be the move. All right, last piece before we close this bad boy out. Speaking of team chemistry, we all know the Miami Heat's big three back in the early 2010s was pretty dynamic. Chris Bosh. Uh, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James went back to back in 2012 and 2013. But apparently Udonis Haslam says those rings do not happen without me. He said, I had my moments and we don't win those rings without me. I did my job. You need a guy like me to do the dirty work that don't show up on the stat sheet. It equals winning. In 2011, 2012, when they won their first ring, uh, he averaged six points per game, 7.3 rebounds, 51.2 field goal percentage in 2012 average 3.9 points per game 5.4 rebounds per game shooting 50.7 percent from the field believable or buffoonery the miami heat are not champions if udonis haslam is not on the roster believable and the reason i say this is not necessarily the production that he had on the court but it's the production and the um, culture that he set in the locker room Anybody that knows anything about the Miami Heat knows that Udonis Haslam is a fixture for the Heat culture. He's a guy that he will call out anybody. He'll call out the best player on the team. He'll call out the dude, the 15th man off the bench. And I think he played a critical role in the whole um, concept of letting LeBron know that, hey, this is your team. Because we all know the story that, um, famous story of Dwayne Wade telling LeBron like, hey, we following you. I know you came here, you think you're still my team, but he's not. And I think that it took, it takes a guy like Udonis Haslam to have that conversation with D-Wade to like, because I remember, I think I listened to an episode of All the Smoke where he mentioned that he had like a, a brief conversation with D-Wade and D-Wade said that he was going to let Brown know that this is team and he was basically saying like, yeah, bro, that's what we need. So, I, like, he's one of those guys where it's like on-the-court production is, over, in my opinion, is overvalued by his own presence in the locker room. So I agree. Yeah, I can – I will agree with that. We kind of talked about those character guys when we were talking about Mark Ingram um, for the Saints. But I think that Udonis Haslam is that and amplified for the Miami Heat, hence why he's playing still on the team for 20-plus seasons and he doesn't even see the court. It's just because of what he brings to that locker room, that intensity, and just overall that feel for He's the one who gets stuff done. He's the one who gets everybody on track and lets everybody know what's going to happen. And I think that especially for a team like the Heat, especially as they were trying to get that chemistry together and really – get that vibe going as teammates, I think that Udonis hasn't played a really big role in that. Do I think they still would have won a ring? Yes. But I definitely think that they would not have as much success as they did without having somebody in that locker room like Udonis Haslam. But all right, let's make game picks for tonight. Uh, starting with the Boston Celtics versus the Washington Wizards. I got Celtics. Celtics. 
Detroit Pistons versus Orlando Magic. You know what? I'm going to say Pistons get their first win of the season. I got it, man. New York Knicks versus the New Orleans Pelicans. I got Knicks. Knicks. Atlanta Hawks versus the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm going Sixers. I'm going Hawks. Toronto Raptors versus the Indiana Pacers. I got, I'll go Raptors. I got Pacers. San Antonio Spurs versus the Milwaukee Bucks. I got Bucks. Utah Jazz versus the Chicago Bulls. I'm going Jazz. I got Jazz. Miami Heat versus the Memphis Grizzlies. This is tough, but I'm a, I'm going Jimmy. Jimmy Buckets. I'm going Heat. I'm, I'm going with the young boy, John Morant. Totally understandable. It could really go either way. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Golden State Warriors. I got Warriors. Yeah, I got Golden State. Uh, Denver Nuggets versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going Nuggets. All right, fair enough. And then Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Phoenix Suns. I got Suns. I got Suns. All right, everybody, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to continue to support the Export Dinet. I repeat the Export Dinet for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, you got anything you want to say before we close this bad boy out? Which is just demoralizing for a defense. I'm not going to lie. That would hurt my feelings. It's one thing to gas me through the air, but you're not just going to continue to run it down my throat all freaking game long. It's very disrespectful. But, I mean, as somebody who likes Jim Harbaugh, it sucks that Michigan lost. Um, Baltimore has a bye, so I'm just going to say get your stuff together for next week, and I'll be on y'all behinds in a week. Um, So, the LSU has a bye, too. Does Memphis? I think Memphis has a bye this week, too. So everybody has a bye, so I really don't have anybody to yell at besides the Lakers. Um, yeah, get your stuff together, Lakers. But I mean, it's still early in the season. Y'all old. I give it, give it a few months. Y'all get your stuff together. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.